Powered by Magic, where we discuss topics surrounding magic and common or not so common questions. Let's take this journey together. Hi, I'm Tatiana. And I'm Sylvia. And we're coming to you from Eugene, Oregon. We invite you to conjure up a broom and ride with us. Hey, Tatiana, how's your week going? I can't think of much that's been going on. It's work, a lot of pet sitting, traveling back and forth, seeing my cats at the various places that they're at right now. Mm-hmm. We did just have Samhain. Yes, we did have Samhain. Trying to remember what I did for Samhain. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. I know we worked Samhain on the podcast. Oh, that's right. We did. We did work on podcasting on Samhain. That was what we did. We put a lot of nice energy out. Mm-hmm. I know the night before, thanks for reminding me, I went ahead and went to a Halloween party. Ah. And that was pretty magnificent. They really did their place up. Every room had something. Ooh. Yeah. And it was the scariest parts that were were meant to be scary. I'm not scared of them, but it was scary looking, spooky looking clowns. Big, you know, human, tall, life-size clowns Oy. everywhere. It was really cool. And nice. They moved on their own and, Ooh. you know, made noises and talked at you and jumped out at you. And, so, wow. and the food was just amazing. There was so much food. Mm. <laughs> That's pretty much what I did on Samhain itself. It was a pretty quiet night in the evening. I was mm-hmm. pet sitting, so I couldn't do much. Mm. How about you? It's been a really quiet week. I haven't done much. I did finally buy my iPod Touch for work so that I can listen to music during the work day. But otherwise, I've not done much. It's just been video games and visiting friends and yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. Sometimes a good even Steven is not a bad thing. Right? Mm. Well, Sylvia, how about we get started with your god or goddess? All right. Today's goddess is Isis the other half of the Osiris-Isis pairing here. Great. She is the Egyptian goddess of healing and magic. What she looks like is a human woman with a throne-looking headdress. And that actually changed a little bit later on. She took on some of the properties of other goddesses later on. One of the other things that you see her with is a headdress with horns and the sun disk in, in the middle. Oh yeah, that's I think the one I'm most familiar with. Yeah. Her duties are to protect Egypt from its enemies. She had power over fate and govern the natural world and the skies. Her parents are Geb and Nut. Siblings are Osiris, Set, Nephthys, and Horus the Elder. Her husband is Osiris, again that uh, uh, brother-sister pairing of husband and wife that we see so often. Mm-hmm. Children are Horace Younger, Bastet, and Min. I love this story because it shows Isis's forgiving nature, which was apparently one of the things that was looked up at as far as being a good thing in Egyptian culture. The story begins when Horace was a baby, the Horace the Younger. Isis would go out surrounded by seven scorpions that protected her from Set, who was the one that destroyed Osiris. She would hide her divinity and go out as an older woman. 
One day, she walked into a town looking for food and a place to rest. The wealthiest woman in town closed her windows and did not show any hospitality at all. A poor woman saw this and invited Isis into her home. The scorpions, understanding the slight the rich woman had paid Isis, made them angry, and so they all combined their poisons into one scorpion. While Isis was distracted in eating, the one scorpion went to the wealthy woman's house and crawled under the door. Finding the woman's son first, the scorpion struck and the boy fell into a stupor from which his panicked mother could not wake him. The wealthy woman carried her son throughout the town, crying and begging for help. Isis heard the woman and went out to her. Forgiving the rich woman her lack of hospitality, Isis said the names of all the scorpions and a magic spell for healing, and the boy woke up healed from the poison. The rich woman, then ashamed and thankful, offered all her riches and property to Isis and the poor woman. That's the little story that I found. That's very cool. Interesting facts. Isis was seen as the mother to the pharaoh. Isis was one of the last pagan goddesses to be worshipped in Europe, eventually being banned by Christianity in the 6th century. So she had a temple that was used all the way into the 6th century, even through a previous banning of pagan worship earlier. Isis was first worshipped in Egypt and then in Greece and Rome as well. She had a very wide range of worshippers from different places. Hmm. Her symbols are a throne, the moon disc, cow horns, kite hawk, and wings. I think I've seen her with most of those. Mm-hmm. Now we come to Superstitions with Tatiana. Thanks. Mm-hmm. For this podcast, I just happened to pick the opening of an umbrella inside as our superstition. Opening an umbrella inside in modern day as being bad luck, has a perfectly reasonable and logical explanation. Basically dating back to the Victorian times, there was a concern that the umbrella, having metal spokes, could easily injure someone or something upon opening it up indoors. In my opinion, that isn't a superstition, but most of the articles I read had it in there, so I thought I should include it as well. Now let's get to it. The origin of opening an umbrella inside might stem from the ancient Egyptians around 1200 BCE. The Egyptians again? Yep, back to them. The umbra portion of the word umbrella stems from Latin, referring to shade or shadow. It was primarily used as an umbrella to protect you from the hot rays of the sun. If you were to open it indoors, where the sun doesn't shine, it was thought to be disrespectful of the sun god Ra. This would in turn anger him and bring him down his wrath upon you and your household. Mm. Another similar notion had to do with the goddess Nut, who reigned over the sky. The umbrella mimicked the shadow that she cast over the earth. At the time, only nobles and clergy were permitted to have these peacock-feathered umbrellas, and anyone else using one would become a beacon of bad luck. Ooh. Yeah. Interestingly, in some cases of this superstition, the umbrella would only bring bad luck if it were black, a gift, had not been used outdoors previously, or if there was a person in the household who was ill. Interesting. Yeah, I thought so too. I've heard of the black 
part. That I'd heard of. Yeah, I'd never heard of any of that. Yeah. Now let's move on to spellcrafting. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's start with the rules of spellcrafting. Spellcasting is one of the most spoken about aspects of magic. Let's face it, it just sounds fun. Although it is fun, it is moreover a very serious business. I often read or hear, how do I do this spell? Or where would I find that spell? Can I, should I do this spell? There's no one real answer, rather more some guidelines. Let's start with, can I, should I do this spell? Spells are very powerful magic that start with intention and integrity. Knowing whether or not to do a spell is based on this. One thing I can say without doubt is that you should never, and I rarely ever use that word, do a spell on another or for another person without their explicit permission or request. Spells are meant to be done for yourself and your own growth, and that is what you should strive for. That said, there are ways and exceptions to rephrase an intention in order to still achieve a goal that is not directly for yourself. This is a tightrope of self-honesty which you're walking, and the intent must be purely directed at yourself. Remember, you can't change someone else. You can change only yourself. Also, be sure to know that the extent of your abilities and work within them. Now we'll address where do I find a spell? That depends. My best advice is to try and make your own since this is the most powerful. However, if you aren't confident in that and you need to do something quickly, then I suggest looking at reputable sources. Sources have insanely expanded in my time from mere books to the whole internet. Some names to look for that I'm feel sure of would be Starhawk, Scott Cunningham is excellent, Silver Ravenwolf, and possibly Raymond Buckland. There are a heaping ton more, of course. However, these are the old school founders of the modern day practice. Next, what about how do I do a spell? Doing spells requires a few basic but important abilities, such as energy work, visualization and focus, and a basic working knowledge of magic. You also need a connection to what you're doing. When working with creating a spell, preciseness is essential. You have to think of every little thing, such as what type of spellcraft do you want to use, which we will be covering in our podcasts. Mm -hmm. Based on that, you then begin to consider the exact intention which you are setting and what words best describe it. The more you hone in on all of the possible and exact meanings of each word, the less likely it will stray from your original goal. Think about how each word, color, herb, stone, etc. can be construed and then account for that. Then consider the where, when, and the atmosphere you want to do your magic in. Think about things like numerology, timing, and the different realms and spirits that you might want to contact for assistance. As you can see, doing your own spell takes time and research, which is why many people look to doing pre-made spells. Although someone else put the spell together, it doesn't mean you can't tweak it to meet your own specific needs. Very much so. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. can use it as a starter kit and then go from there. Yeah. One last thing I can think of is the chant. Chants can be simple or complex, but they must make sense to the spellcrafter. In other words, if you use someone else's words, then consider if they make sense to you. 
If not, you can rewrite them to best fit your needs. If you make your own, it can be one word, several words, a rhythmic saying or phrase, or a sentence or sentences that express the intention. What I've covered here is the majority of basic guidelines, but it's possible that I've missed something and we'd love to hear from you to get your input on what I may have missed. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to astrology. Yeah, I have a few things here for you guys. It's talking about the planets, astrology, and timing of your spells. This part of spellcrafting is associated with air and the east. And timing your spells just right to use the powers of the planets can be very satisfying indeed. Picking the right planet and the right place for it can be tricky though. Easiest is to go with a planet in a certain sign. If you want to get more in depth, you can even look up your birth chart in many places for free and work with your houses as well. I have a list of associations for each of these things, planets, signs, and houses. Fantastic. Yeah. Planets, we're going to start with, I'm going to go through each one and I'm going to give a couple of examples of associations for each one. Sun is self-expression and vitality. Moon, intuition, emotion. Mercury is intellect and communication. Venus, love and harmony. Mars, physical energy and initiative. Jupiter, expansion, luck. Saturn, stability, limitation. Uranus, change and disruption. Neptune, dreams, cloudiness. Pluto, transformation and elimination. Those are all of the planets. The signs are as follows. Aries, assertive, energetic. Taurus, patient and persistent. Gemini, communicative, intellectual. Cancer, sensitive, imaginative. Leo is generous and loving. Virgo, analytical, intelligent. Libra, charming, diplomatic. Scorpio, passionate and intuitive. Sagittarius is philosophical and optimistic. Capricorn, prudent, practical. Aquarius, independent and inventive. And Pisces is sensitive and kind. The houses, for a little bit extra here, the first house is physical and psychological health and attitude. Second, possessions, partners. Third house, communication, transportation. Fourth house is home and parents. Fifth house is creativity and children. Sixth house is general well-being and routine work. Seventh house, personal and professional relationships. Eighth house is sexuality and investments. Really interesting dichotomy there, it seems. Hmm. Yeah. Ninth house, travel and dreams. Tenth house, ambitions and career changes. Eleventh house, social life personal objectives, and 12th house, the unconscious and faith. Hmm. Love it. Thank you. Yeah. And now we be helpful for me. Sorry to interrupt you. That's actually going to help me. Ah, okay. Cool. It's a good reference place for me. They're in our notes, so I get to cheat and look at those. (laughs) Anyway. Um, Stone magic with Tatiana, and she's got a lot of wonderful stuff for us. Yeah, it's pretty intensive. A lot of information here. Hopefully yeah. it's not too much. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if anything, we have our extra info in the notes and stuff. 
Yeah. yeah. Stone magic is earth magic and sits in the north. It's best used for grounding magic. Because of its correspondence with the earth, your most powerful use of stones would be anything that needs growth, structure, death, silence, concerns of the home and family, matters of money, or as it relates to the body. To heighten the potency of stone magic, use colors associated with earth, such as black, brown, forest green, and most other greens. But use the color stone appropriate to your magic. For example, if your spell has to do with love, it's unlikely that you're going to want to use a black stone. This is where it can get tricky and difficult. Oftentimes it's challenging to match up colors and correspondences all in one stone. You need to consider the adjective or verb you're looking to fulfill. For money spells, we would quickly jump to the color green, but then you want to find the right green. So you should consider what type of money energy you want. With malachite, which is green, you can use it to bring confidence into money matters, such as finding a job to apply for, or harmony for working in joint ventures with others. Moss agate is also green, could be used to bring stability into turbulent financial situations or crisis. But you could use carnelian, which is orange, a more fiery energy, for courage in facing a job interview after having found the job to apply for. The color can shift with the intention. Very interesting. It's also very confusing. Mm -hmm. Stone magic can be paired with other spellcraft magic. Therefore, black, brown, and greens are easy to use for grounding, growth, stability, etc. But the stone's attributes and correspondences are is equally important. Mm -hmm. Here are some ways to use them. You can carry the stone with you in your pocket at all times or as a necklace close to the heart. It would be carried for the stone's specific corresponding energy to have it with you at all times and as a constant reminder of what you're trying to manifest. For example, if you carried obsidian, it would equal protection. You'd be walking around with the idea of having protection with you. You can also place a stone on your altar to manifest the stone's energy in a broader way or it can boost other magic that is being done on the altar. You can bury it for a growth spell, foundational spell, or solidifying spell. There are stone grids, also known as seed of life or flower of life grids, which work with sacred geometry. Depending on where the stones are placed on the grid and what stones are used, it can create different force fields that magnify your intention until you remove the stones. That's very cool. I think I've seen you use one before. Yeah, that is, it's very powerful and you really can feel the energy for as long as you have those stones on the grid. And then it's interesting when you remove the stones, how you, I definitely felt the energy shift. It usually kind of starts out really strong and then starts to wane and that's how you know that it's worked or working. Ah, okay. You can just sort of feel it starting to dissipate on its own accord. Mm -hmm. and then you take it apart. There are specific ways that you will put these together and take them apart. It's very specific. Mm. And there are books out there on it. Okay. You can also make your own stone grid. There are books that show you how to do it. You can just do it by pen or pencil. You can buy them. They're really actually kind of pretty. Hmm. Let's talk about cleansing your stones. Ah, important. Yes. 
I'm not very good about doing this. Yeah, me neither. (laughs) This is inspiring me, having looked at this. Always look up the care instructions for your stones before cleansing them. Stones have several different ways they can be cleansed, and here are some of them. Salt water, natural light, which can be based on lunar and solar cycles, eclipses, or astrological timing, saging, and setting smaller stones on larger stones, such as geodes or quartz crystal clusters. These are just a few ways to clear your crystals, stones, and gems of unwanted and old energies. One example is malachite again. It shouldn't be cleansed with salt. Instead, it should be placed on a quartz cluster and set in the sun. It should be cleansed after every use as it picks up pollutants from the atmosphere and the body with extreme ease. Don't use water with stones that are brittle, soft, have trace metals, or are porous. The frequency of cleansing your stones is directly related to the amount you use them and the intensity of the magic you use them for. A common thought and good rule of thumb is to clean them at least once a month. The following information is extensive, but I thought it could be helpful to hear about some frequently used and easily found stones. Not all of what I researched is being said here, but it will be in our notes. I'm starting with agate. Agate covers all of the elements, earth, air, fire, and water. There are many different types of agate and each one has a different association. I recommend looking at our references for more information. I chose to cover blue lace agate. Its element is water. It covers the fifth chakra, its communication and clarity. Amethyst is air, sixth, seventh, and eighth chakras, connecting with the divine and releasing addiction. Carnelian is fire element first, second, and third chakras, and is associated with sexuality and courage. Citrine is fire. It covers the third and seventh chakras. It's an aura protector and cleanses the chakras. Fluorite is air. It covers all of the chakras. It's protection, physical and psychic. It is overcoming and reorganizing chaos on all levels which I thought was interesting. I used to carry that for years. Mm. Garnet. Again, there are many different types and each one has a different association. I recommend looking at our references for all of the information or more of the information. I'm going to use the one that's most commonly thought of, which is rhodolite garnet. It is the earth element and it is the first, fourth, and seventh chakras, emotional healing and walking the spiritual path. Hematite is earth element and the first chakra, manifestation and strengthens the willpower. Lapis lazuli is an air element. It's the fifth and sixth chakras. It harmonizes conflict and works with depression. Malachite is fire. It is the third and fourth chakras. It can be used for scrying and creativity. Moonstone is air element. It's the sixth and seventh chakras. It's good for goddess magic and lucid dreaming. Obsidian is earth and the first and sixth chakras. Again, there are many different types, so it would be helpful to look at exactly what each individual one does, depending on how precise you need to be with your magic. Here are some broad strokes based on black, snowflake, and rainbow obsidian. It's an earth element, 
It covers the first and sixth chakras. It covers past life recall and deep journey through darkness into light. Onyx is an earth element. It is the first, third, and sixth chakras. It covers discipline and focus. Quartz, I focused on the two most common. Pink quartz is a water element and fire. It's the fourth chakra. It's unconditional love and harmony and trust in a relationship. Clear quartz is water element, air, and possibly fire when lightning is present. It covers all of the chakras and is the amplification of intention and cleansing. Sodalite is the air element. It is the sixth chakra. It brings logic and intuition together, solidarity and harmony in group work. Sutilite is air element. It's the sixth, seventh, and eighth chakras covering spiritual love and wisdom, as well as answering the bigger questions in life. Tiger's eye is fire and earth. It is the first, second, and third chakras, vitality and encourages integrity. I highlighted two lesser known attributes for each stone. However, there are several more attached to these stones that I have not mentioned. Our notes cover these. As for the chakras, I figured I most likely am not the only one who has a hard time remembering them, so I wanted to cover them quickly here. The chakras are, the first chakra is associated with the root. Second equals sexual and creative energy. Third is the solar plexus. Fourth, the heart. Fifth, the throat. Sixth, the third eye. The seventh, the crown and the eighth, the soul star. These are all written down for you in our notes as well. Now, let's move on to Sylvia, who has put together an astrological spell for us. Yeah, so I used the timing for creating an enduring love spell. And this spell is just what it says. A spell for enduring love with a romantic partner. We're trying to balance all the elements in this spell to find a balanced relationship. With the aspect of spell timing itself being air, for joy and communication, Venus being associated with water, for love and harmony, and Taurus with earth, patience and persistence, all we need is something fiery to round it off. Now, you might think of a candle right off the bat, which is a great choice, but I'm going with something you can carry with you and set under your pillow. Specifically, carnelian, which is a red stone associated with fire for sexuality and passion. You're going to want to do this on a Friday because of its associations with love, between the dates of the 28th of May 2022, when Venus goes into Taurus, and the date of the 22nd of June, when Venus goes into Gemini. Your supplies are one carnelian stone, a chalice or bowl with water, a candle, a small bowl with salt, an incense holder and incense of your choice that fits the spell. Now lavender is a good choice for peace and harmony. Make sure you have everything you need to do the spell in the circle before you begin. Create the circle. Call in the quarters and the god and goddess. Light your candle. Pick up the stone and begin to cleanse in the elements. First, we start by sprinkling salt on the stone over the salt bowl and say, by earth may this stone be cleansed. Then wave the stone through the incense smoke and say, by air may this stone be cleansed. 
wave the stone over the candle, being careful not to get too close and burn yourself, and as you do this, say, by fire may this stone be cleansed. Sprinkle a little water on the stone and say, by water may this stone be cleansed. Then, after cleansing the stone in all four elements, hold it in your hands and raise power. Then when you are ready and you feel that the power is at its peak, say once, I have a hole in my heart and I ask you to heal this. By carnelian stone, I will no longer be alone. I will take action. I release this cone. Then set the stone down and release the god goddess and the quarters. Keep the stone with you for as long as needed, maybe keeping it in your pocket by day and under your pillow at night. And now... That's, well, oh. I, I'm sorry. I just wanted to say I like that. I have heard of that style of magic being done before, and I hadn't heard it in years about passing it through each element. I always jump to doing candle magic, so much so that I tend to forget about some of the other methods. Mm. So thank you for doing it that way. Yeah, no problem. It was just, it just seemed right. Yeah, it feels good. As I said earlier, that way you can carry it with you and keep manifesting it. Yeah. Uh, even better would it be if you could have it as a necklace. Right. And then have it right by your heart the whole time. I think that would be that perfect. Would be really perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tarot with Tatiana. <laughs> All right. Here we go. I got the Four of Pentacles. Noticing what one has, being centered enough to appreciate what you have, leaving behind the feeling of losing out and looking to what lies ahead. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Feel empowered. Now is a good time to gather what you need together. How this relates to our podcast today, the Four of Pentacles is North and Earth magic. It speaks to us grounding our energies and finding what we need. What we're putting together is the ability to provide for ourselves using our intentions. We can facilitate our own outcomes when we gather our strengths, know our limits, and move forward accordingly. This is a time to work from a place of integrity and amplify it by not staying in the past. Through the use of your abilities, build yourself a strong foundation in whatever your endeavor is. Beautiful. Hey. I always love your interpretations. <laughs> you say that all the time, and I really appreciate it, and I blush <laughs> every time. All right. Please rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you found us. As always, we have references in our episode notes. I'm Tatiana, saying goodbye for now. And I'm Sylvia, saying so long, and thank you for writing with us. This has been Powered, Powered by, by Magic. Magic. Have a great day, guys. Thanks.